0: I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And today I want to continue our study on the God-man prophecies. The the many prophecies in the Old Testament that predict the coming Messiah. uh, The one who would come uh, to save mankind and to rule as king over the earth. And one of the key characteristics of these prophecies is that this Messiah would not be just a man, but he would also be God. Now, sadly, the, the, in Judaism, they interpret these prophecies as just being a, a man, a human Messiah. And, uh, but yet, we're, get, we're seeing that, in fact, these prophecies talk about the Messiah being God. And so when Jesus came and claimed to be God, as well as man, he was claiming to be the fulfillment of those prophecies. And uh, he was actually being absolutely biblical. And he proved his claim, of course, by his miracles, by rising from the dead after three days and so forth. But we need to know these prophecies and understand that as well as the New Testament claiming that Jesus is God, this is also proved from the Old Testament prophecies too, which predict that the coming Messiah is God, the unique God-man. Well, the Bible is a revelation of God, and especially of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is our Savior, and he's the source of eternal life. And so Jesus is the central person in the Bible. The Scripture speaks of him and says we must believe in him, and come to him to receive salvation and eternal life. He said in John 5, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. To have eternal life, you have to come to Jesus. You have to believe in him. And then John 20 says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you might have life in his name. And there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. 1 John 5 says, God has given us eternal life and this, this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's pretty clear. And so there's nothing more important than knowing who Jesus is, that he's fully man and fully God. And because he's God, he's worthy of our full, our absolute love, loyalty and submission, and our wholehearted worship and devoted service. And so this is expressed. This key truth is expressed by the classic Christian confession confession, that Jesus is Lord. When you're saying that, you're saying Jesus is God. He's my God. He's my Lord. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is the declaration from a believing heart that Jesus possesses the absolute and final authority that only belongs to God. And it exp- expresses our personal submission to his authority as our Lord. And since Jesus is the Lord God, he is my supreme Lord. When the Old Testament, was transla- which is written in Hebrew, was translated into Greek, Two words that were used exclusively for God, which is Jehovah, which is his personal covenant name, and Adonai, which means Lord, Owner, Master, Uh, both of these names of God were translated into the Greek word kurios, which is translated as Lord uh, in Romans 10 and elsewhere. And so what this means is that when it talks about the confession that of somebody who's saved. They confess from a believing heart that Jesus is Lord, that's Jesus is Kurios, which is basically saying that Jesus is Jehovah. He's Adonai. And so this is the key revelation, is that Jesus is God, and only the God can show that to your heart. The New Testament declares Jesus is God in many ways. Here's some examples, for instance, direct statements of his deity. Romans 9.5, According to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifested in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. Titus 2:13 says looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior. 2 Peter 1:1 1, 1 uses the same phrase that we have obtained like precious faith uh, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. But this isn't just an Old Testament uh, sorry a New Testament revelation. The Old Testament also has many prophecies of the Messiah who will come to save man from his sin, and this Messiah will be both fully man and fully God. And today I want to focus on a number of these messianic prophecies that reveal that the coming Messiah is divine, the unique God-man. And so when Jesus claimed to be both God and man, he was claiming to be the fulfillment of those prophecies, and the Jewish leaders were wrong and unbiblical to reject his claims on the basis it was impossible for a man also to be God. And so this New Testament revelation is perfectly consistent with what the Old Testament says, and it proclaims that these prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled by Jesus himself. This revelation of Christ as the God-man is at the heart of the Christian faith, and it's essential for our salvation. It's the primary defining truth that separates true biblical Christianity from cults and other religions, all of which reject the deity of Christ, and they say instead he's some exalted angel or some kind of man. Trusting in a Jesus, who is just a created being, is to believe in another Jesus, a false Jesus who doesn't exist. The whole Bible points to Christ as the source of salvation and eternal life. So it's vital to believe in the true Christ who is God himself and not in another Jesus, a merely created being. For there's an infinite difference between the Creator and any created being. The Bible says, salvation is of the Lord. And even the name of Jesus declares that truth. It means, the Lord our salvation, or the Lord is salvation. So if Christ is just a creature, he cannot save you. If you trust in Christ as a created being to save you, you are still lost, for only God can save you. You must trust in Christ as God to be saved, because God alone is the Savior. So believing in the deity of Christ is essential for our salvation. Some say, well, it's just having faith that matters, it doesn't matter so much exactly what you believe. That's so wrong. It's who you believe in that's the main issue, not how much faith you have. I mean, you could have all the faith in the world in an omelette, but it won't, st- it won't save you. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, shall be saved. This says we are saved by calling on Jesus as our Lord, our curious. Remember, that's what translates... Jehovah and Adonai. And this verse in Romans 10.13 is quoted from Joel in the Old Testament, Joel 2.32, that says that all who call on the name of the Lord on the name of Jehovah shall be saved. So the New Testament takes a verse about Jehovah and then claims that and, and says that salvation comes through Jehovah Sorry, the New Testament takes a verse about Jehovah which says that salvation comes through Jehovah and then applies it to Jesus. And, then, and so this proves that Jesus is Jehovah God and that we are saved by calling on Jesus and receiving Him in faith, receiving Him as our Lord God, as Jehovah. Well, the Old Testament prophecies speak of God's Messiah coming to earth to save us, and they declare again and again that he is God. So why did God have to personally come and save us? The Bible says we were so lost in sin, so much under the power of sin, uh, that the grip of sin had us under its power, that only God himself, by his mighty grace and power, had the ability to save us. See, man-made religion tends to reduce sin to outward works. And and so it it, it doesn't see the necessity of this kind of salvation that requires God Himself to do it. Um, because they just imagine that we can fix ourselves. In other words, yes, I do some sins, but if as long as I do enough goodwill works, you know, to balance and compensate for my sins, then God will be satisfied. They do have no idea that the issue of sin is so serious. Sin is not just about the outward. That's just the the manifestation of something that's wrong on the inside. Sin has corrupted our very beings. It, it's corrupted our very nature. It's in our heart. It corrupts our motives. It turns us in on ourselves, it making us selfish, causing us to be independent from God, going our own way as our own God, and that's called pride. Sin makes us worthy of judgment, and it's deeply embedded in us so that we cannot save ourselves. Anything that we do of ourselves is already tainted by that sin. And so this was a major emphasis of Jesus' teaching that sin comes out from the heart. So sin is such a deep issue that salvation can only be accomplished from, by God. And therefore, just as God alone is the, sa- is the creator, so only God can be the saviour. This is something he could not delegate to someone else because only God can accomplish our salvation. That's why Jonah de- declared, salvation is of the Lord. This, that's a great revelation. In other words, Jonah was putting his trust in God alone to save him, and he wasn't disappointed. Isaiah 43 says, I even I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no savior. Only God can save. Isaiah 45, he says, there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Saviour, there is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Therefore, when the Bible says that Jesus is our Saviour, that is a claim that He is God, and that's why the two statements are combined uh, in Titus two thirteen, when it talks about our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus, if Jesus is our Saviour, He has to be God. Last time we saw some of these messianic prophecies that declare the deity of the Messiah. For example, Isaiah 7.14, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 9.6, For unto us a child is born. That's his humanity. Unto us a son is given. That describes his pre-existence and his deity. And the government will be on his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful miracle worker, counselor, that's teacher, mighty God, and that's El And that's very clear that this human child will also be the mighty God. And also then the everlasting father or the source of everlasting life, the source of salvation, and the prince of peace. And then we saw Mike, Micah five two, You, Bethlehem, if rather, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you will come forth to me one to be ruler, in Israel, and this talks about his birth as a baby in Bethlehem, but then it says that's not his real beginning, because then it says, whose goings forth, whose origins are from old, from everlasting. In other words, the babe of Bethlehem is also the eternal God. Now Job understood man's problem, man's separation from God, and what it would take to fix the problem. Job 9 he says, for God is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. And what he's saying is, Job knew he was separated from God, but how can this be fixed? Because God, between God and man is an infinite separation. He realizes that what's needed is a mediator who can identify, lay his hand on both. In other words, he has to be God to connect to God, but he has to be man to connect to man. And therefore it needs a God-man, someone who is both God and man to identify with both. And that seems to be an impossible request. But later, the Lord reveals to Job that there is such a mediator who is alive in heaven right now and, and who is therefore divine and who will also become a man. To be our Redeemer. That's in Job 19. And Job gets very excited. He says, oh, at this revelation, oh, that my words were written. He says, oh, that they are inscribed in a book, that they were be engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. In other words, this is such a great revelation. This needs to, to be recorded forever. And of course, God did that. He put it in the Bible, in God's everlasting word. And this is the revelation. For I know that my redeemer lives, praise God. In other words, he's saying, I know that the one, that mediator, that saviour is alive right now. Now, first of all, to, to be a redeemer, and this isn't obvious in the English, but in the Hebrew, the redeemer has to be a man. The redeemer has to be a kinsman. It has to be someone who can identify, be in the same family as the person he redeems, and he can step in and he can pay the price to redeem his kinsman, And so for this Redeemer to redeem mankind, he has to become a man himself. But now he is told that this Redeemer is already alive in heaven. In other words, this Redeemer is God. And then he says, and this Redeemer will stand at last on the earth. In other words, this Redeemer who is alive right now in heaven, one day will become a man. and He will come to the earth as a man in human flesh, and he will do that work of redemption. And then he says he will be successful because, he says, and after my skin is destroyed, after I die, Job says, this I know, that in my flesh I will see God. In other words, Job knows that he will, because of this Redeemer, dealing with the sin issue, Job will be resurrected one day And he'll be able to see God face to face The sin issue will be dealt with And he says Whom I will see for myself And my eyes shall behold And not another How my heart yearns within me You see only God himself can save us And he had to be a man In order to identify with us And pay for our sins And be that mediator That connects us Between man and God That brings us together why did God have to personally save us? You know, it's, it's evident, of course, that only God can be the creator of all things. But why can only God be the savior of mankind? The truth is actually that salvation is a much harder thing than creation. Because in creation, there were no opposing forces. But in redemption, God had to overcome our sin. He had to overcome Satan. He had to overcome the kingdom of darkness. And so such a work seems impossible. Uh, And it's actually why the angels stand in awe at the grace of God that has been shown toward us to save us. You know, creation is the work of God's fingers. You know, it's easy. Psalm 8 says, When I consider the heavens the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon that you've ordained. But to, to achieve our salvation... The Bible says that God had to roll up his sleeves and use his mighty arm. Now Isaiah talks about the arm of the Lord bringing salvation. And he goes further actually and talks about the arm of the Lord as a person. In fact, it's a title for the Messiah. Many verses in Isaiah talk about the arm of the Lord and some of them make it clear that this arm is a person. It's a title of the Messiah. And and let's look at a verse, verse that talks about the arm bringing salvation. Isaiah 52.10 it says, The Lord has made bare his holy arm. This means he's revealed his holy arm. He's made him visible. Actually the arm of the Lord is Jesus. And this is talking about him making the arm visible in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This word salvation is literally Yeshua. The eyes of the earth shall see by faith the Yeshua of our God. God makes visible in the person of Jesus. And this connects immediately, a few verses later, with the famous verse, Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? And of course, the report is the report of Isaiah 53 about the suffering Savior, the Messiah, who dies for our sins. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see the arm of who is this arm of the Lord? for he will grow up before him as a tender plant, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and so forth. So the arm of the Lord you see is the Messiah, the suffering servant, and the one to who the arm of the Lord is revealed is the one who believes the report to him. the power of God is revealed but the arm of the Lord is the person of Jesus Christ himself. And the key point is this, that if God says that his own arm is going to accomplish salvation, that means that he himself will personally do it, not another. Because the arm is one with the person. So whoever the arm of the Lord is, it must be God himself. You know, if if uh, I was g- talking about getting a job done, and you say, well, who are you going to get to do it? And, uh, and I said to you, no, I'm my own mighty arm will do it. (laughs) I'm saying that I will do it myself. And so this is a prophecy that God himself, his arm, will actually accomplish salvation. And so the arm of the Lord in Isaiah 53 is the suffering Messiah, the man who dies for our salvation, but he is also God himself. The Messiah, in other words, is God. And of course, the New Testament in Acts 8 claims that this was fulfilled by Jesus. Isaiah fifty nine sixteen, God says, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. His own righteousness it sustained him. Isaiah 51, 5, My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. That's talking about the Holy Spirit and, and Christ. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. In other words, trust in Jesus. Another prophecy is Psalm 110, it says the Lord, that's Jehovah, said to my Lord, Adoni, which is the Messiah here, the son of David, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. To sit at God's right hand denotes equality with God. it's interesting. Another interesting one is Psalm 80, 17. It says, let your hand be upon the man of your right hand. So there's a man at God's right hand upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. This is a prophecy that there will be a man at the right hand of God, fulfilled by Jesus, of course. So the Lord at God's right hand must be a man. Um, because again, later on, he's called a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But this Lord, that's at the right hand of God, is also God. Because a few verses later, he is called Adonai, which is a word used for God alone. Uh, In verse 5, it says, The Lord, or literally Adonai, at your right hand. Uh, Now it says the Lord is at your right hand, but that word is, is not in the original. So it literally says, the Lord at your right hand shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. So it says that the person at the right hand of Jehovah is Adonai, which is God himself. So the Messiah is God. In Zechariah 11, uh, the Messiah is valued at 30 pieces of silver, which is the value of, of a slave by the leaders of Israel. Um, because although Zechariah is acting the part, he's, it's all about the Messiah when you read it. And it says, then I said to them, the leaders of Israel, if it's agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that pricely prince that they sent, set on me. Now God is speaking and he says, this is just a picture of, the, of the, what the leaders will value the coming Messiah, the good shepherd, uh, the price they set on me. And uh, this is the Lord. And so I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. So this states that the Messiah uh, will be rejected by Israel, but he is also God and that he would be valued. God himself would be valued for 30 pieces. Of course, that was fulfilled in Matthew um, in in the New Testament. Zechariah 12.10, the Lord says... I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his own son. So here, notice, God is speaking and he predicts that Israel one day will repent. And they will look by faith, but he says they will look on me whom they pierced. God says that he himself was pierced. But that's only possible if God himself became a man and to fulfill his ministry as the Messiah. And so one day Israel will recognize that truth, that in fact it was God in the person of Jesus Christ who was pierced. Hallelujah. And so Israel will realize that the Messiah, Jesus, is God. Zechariah 13.7 says, Awake, O Lord, against my shepherd, uh, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion says the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And this word that says that this man is the companion of God is actually a phrase that means the associate or equal with God or one who shares the same nature. So this man will also be, who will be executed by a sword, as it were, that means capital punishment, this man will also be God. Malachi 3.1, God says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And so this is talking about the, the, the mess- the John the Baptist preparing the way before the Lord. The coming Messiah is described as God himself. He goes on and says, the, the Messiah being the messenger of the covenant, the new covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And that agrees as well with Isaiah 40. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And and that was fulfilled by John the Baptist. He was preparing the way for Jehovah himself to appear. In other words, the coming Messiah is Jehovah himself. And it says the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And so these are just some of the prophecies. um, And there are more that tell us that the Messiah is God. So when Jesus claimed to be the I am, the I am, the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth, the life, he wasn't committing blasphemy. He was claiming to be the God-man. He was claiming to be our savior, the source of everlasting life, the fulfillment of all these prophecies. And these claims are only true if he's actually God. And it's important that we believe that he's God because to be saved, we have to come to him and believe in him as God, our Lord and savior. And he didn't just make these claims. He backed them up by, by his miracles, by being raised from the dead on the third day. Hallelujah. And when we put our trust in him, he backs them up even more by transforming our lives. And Jesus is Lord. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, ox x 37 qh you can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515086.